I'm not into podcasts. I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. What a hit! Back of the net. Hello, you're listening to the Not a Pundit podcast, which means, unlike a VAR assistant, you have made the correct call this time. I'm Killian Ginnity, and I am delighted to be joined as ever by Not a Pundit Connor Glennon. How you going, boys? Good to see you. And of course, journalist and author Robbie Redmond. Hey lads, how are you? Good, good, good. And um, just, I'm just going to get straight into it, lads. Like, I'm sure we all saw the big result. Sunderland 3, Sheffield Wednesday nil. <laughs> Jack Clark, absolute hero. Like, I think just freedom of the city at this stage, just give it to him. And uh, yeah, Sunderland are just taking on the championship again. And I think we were in, in with a good good shout. Like, obviously he's that was a, the match on the forefront of your minds, obviously. Of he's course. a county player. He really is. Like, that, that kid's going far. And his, co- his agent is Ian Hart of uh, the Irish Parish. So he, uh, who knows, maybe we'll try and find a granny or let him be adopted or something just to try and get him <laughs> on these waters. Go full Cascarino if we need to. <laughs> yeah. Um, so obviously this weekend kind of has had one big topic of discussion. Um, and Connor, just before we went in and recorded, me and you were chatting about it. VAR... And the VAR chat room has been released only in the in the last couple of hours. Um, talk us through the madness that is. Well, it, it it's look, it's hard to it's hard to analyze it completely because we don't know what it's like on a good day. So you know we don't know how kind of frantic the discussions are and how like we know how quick they have to make a decision, but we don't know the process of their decisions. But it it if the three of us were in there, it couldn't have been any less organized and we would have been first day on the job like the the resounding quote for me is the very end he goes i can't do anything i can't do anything and then evidently some expletive comes out that's that's i wished we got the fully undone one but like it seemed like anarchy in there and you know we can go into the reasons why but i don't know i don't know rob if you got a chance to listen to it either but christ like it just seemed like seems like, you know, if you've a, you're driving the car and you tip off someone in front of you and the whole car is freaking out. It was like that. It was honestly like that. Yeah, it just shows how dysfunctional nearly every every job is. <laughs> I nearly felt bad for them, even though obviously the level of incompetence, it looks really bad. And particularly as the referee at one point is like, well done, boys, good process. Then the match restarts and they're like, oh, no, we have to give him the wrong decision is after going through here. Like he actually says, oh, and then him as has expletive so yeah it was an absolute mess um, and for me I'm just going to get straight to it I just think they should just scrap far I thought that before this I think even more now just get rid of it Killian it's like in Ken Early compared it to Prohibition in America like good intentions behind the idea so Prohibition in the 1920s when they tried to get rid of alcohol just end up bringing it back anyway I think this is the same really with far like good intentions behind it but ultimately the hassle that it causes just isn't worth it. And I think this match really kind of summed that up. I was saying this to Killian before we, we hopped on. I was like, you know, look, I love moaning about VAR. It's, it's, it's low-hanging fruit every week. But the only reason I ever bought into it in any guise was the bloody offside rule. Like, it's it's not that hard. Like, you know, you've I know they've changed it three times in, I don't know, the last 10 years, is it? But, like, the fact that, like... 
you look at the lines they're looking at, they did draw them, and it's like, it's so obvious, like, there's acres there, it's like, if, if you can't see that, I don't know how you have a job, like, I just, it's lunacy, and I really, really think, Killian, and I don't know what you think about this, but I think it's as simple as jet lag, and it, it like, those two, the, the fire and the, and the, was it the assistant, were out in the UAE with Michael Oliver during the week, off the back of an eight-hour flight, like, We've all travelled far places, we know it's a horrendous thing and your brain's foggy, like, how is that allowed? For Like, leaving out the discussion of why are they in the UAE, how the hell are they allowed ref a major game within 24 hours of landing? It is absurd. To quote the cat in the hat, Rob, you're not just wrong, you're stupid. VAR <laughs> is not the problem. Referees are. And the lack of preparation, because how can World Cups, Champions League and every other league in the world get it even nearly right. Not not saying it's a perfect system. Like rugby have been using this for years. The issue is ever changing laws and clueless refs. Um, like jet lag is the least of their concerns. Like they genuinely don't seem to know what's going on. Like they have a breeze and they panic. They panic, and that's even worse. Like there's nothing more dangerous in a burning building than the guy that panics, and that is what's happening every week and probably multiple times like there was footage from eurovision in the 80s of a director screaming to get this done get that done just the behind the scenes of a fascinating watch and it sounds like anarchy but the difference is there was one guy in control there was about four voices there and i couldn't tell you who the boss was like where's the but accountability it's, 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 it's... The, 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 for those who haven't heard the audio you listen to it and you'll keep hearing the name ollie Ollie is in charge of the replay. His job he's not a VAR, and he he's seems to be dude. the only one. He's the only one that seems to be like, uh, lads, we've we've arsed this. Like this is a disaster. And then like the other the other thing is like, I don't know about you, Rob, but like they can't. They say they can't once the game's restarted. They can't stop it. The ball went out for a throw in pretty swift after the goal. Can they not break the play there and go? Okay, lads, right we need to address this again or is it just game started sorry saws about you hon that, that is it like the contradictory nature of it that we're oh we're going to stop the game and we're going to look at a video to get it right but then once the game restarts we can't drag it back even though maybe 10 seconds of play it or whatever it might be or 20 seconds this is where this is why I just think VAR as a, as a concept just won't work and I've, I thought this from the start and I, I, I just don't can't see how it helps. So I'm looking here that when VAR Force came in in the World Cup in 2018, FIFA um, analysed it. And I hadn't been used anywhere else before on a big tournament. And the referee's decisions went from 95% accuracy to 99.2% accuracy. But I don't think that extra 4% is worth it. It's not worth... Um, like, we have managers nearly here suggest... Not clocking really suggest, but we fans or clubs hinting at matches being replayed like replayed this is the level of paranoia we've got to here with this and um, like no referees trust is completely broken no one thinks they're competent at their job when ultimately these are the, probably the best referees around maybe not in europe like maybe there's a couple better i don't know but they're as well as good as you're gonna get and there's probably gonna be it's almost like referees is like near the priesthood now like who wants to be a referee because you're gonna get like there's, there's gonna be a decline in species like there's not many lefts because who would want this abuse like so for the sake of that four percent which bar has brought 
none of this is worth it. And we're not going to get these referees who are super competent, who are going to get every decision. I know it looks easy and it's something like that should be easy, but they seem tied up in knots and they're worried about, I'd say that referee would be worried about if he got, he got the signal, what would, what would his bosses say if he brought it back? They're almost worried about, they don't, like any job, they don't want to look like they're incompetent and you're trying to save face almost. Like, remember Mike Dean before, a couple of weeks ago, where he was like saying that, oh yeah, like, I helped out my mate. I didn't alert him to a VAR call because he had a tough day. So it's almost like they're in the trenches with each other and they're just about kind of self-preservation rather than in looking after the rules and enforcing the, the laws of the game, not even the rules, the laws of the game. And VAR just, rather than making things clearer, for every offside a call, it might get right. This one decision will just make make everything else seem illegitimate. And as I said, like for the sake of 4%, I was happy with it before. And that's someone who watched Thierry Henry handball or all these different injustices. But it just never bothered me because you just have to accept that this is probably the best we're going to get. And the technology only makes it worse. And then you might compare it to rugby. Rugby's a set-piece game. Like, the referee is the most important person in that sport because it's chaos if the referee isn't there. It'd just be lads punching the head off each other. Whereas football, referee almost gets in the way of the natural flow of the game, if that makes sense. And I just feel like it just makes it just makes it a lot worse. And, I, again, I'd go back to that Ken Earley was saying with Prohibition. I, I just fully agree. It's like, it's not working. It's an experiment that just hasn't worked. Now, it won't happen. It's not going anywhere. But... I, we're stuck with it, but that would be my option. Get rid of it because I just don't think the referees are maybe on the level we need, as I said, but they also are the best you're going to get. And for the sake of that couple of calls extra you're going to get right, I would I would happily go back to the last way. One thing um, I will say, though, is like it, I, I, I think being devil's advocate here, are we being like obviously it was a colossal mess up like there's no getting away from it it's it'll probably be the straw that broke that comes back in terms of refereeing decisions for VAR but like we also have to think they aren't machines they are going to make mistakes but I do think there's mistakes and then there's this there is yeah definitely but I think we we also go into it thinking VAR is going to be the is the one size fits all that there won't be any mistakes anymore and this is a mess like this is just. And this is the level of incompetence and a perfect storm at once. Also involved in Liverpool, who are kind of the most paranoid <laughs> fan base, really. One of the most paranoid, not to offend them, but you know what I mean. They already hate referees. They already don't think they get the, they get fair treatment. So it's a perfect storm. They're not machines, but the machines are the ones that are working. It's the humans that are rushing to decisions. It's humans that are that can't see a straight line apparently it's the human error and that's the issue and i'm starting to wonder is it an issue with like the referees of england that they're just they're so adamant that they're the best in the world that you're just not taking advice from anywhere else like you've been saying this for a while you've been saying that like outside outside the uk that this doesn't happen as much well the discussion is not as hotly contested because i don't know if it's just uh, other nations will accept it kind of going listen that's what the camera said right or they're willing to say right the referee fucked up the camera said it was one way the referee fucked up that's fine because that's the only other option we have going back is we have to change the blame from kind of going well the machine said this and the referee did the opposite computer says no exactly (laughs) to going oh well what could the referee have seen it could have been that and it just all it does is just turns football into pub talk and when it's an when the industry is as big as it is 
that's just not going to happen anymore. And like, don't forget, it was not that long ago we didn't have yellow and red cards. It was not that long ago that you could back pass to a goalkeeper and they could pick it up. The sport has is ever evolving, but we've gotten to a stage that they're trying to tweak it on such a minuscule level that has such massive consequences for teams. And the referee organisation in the UK are either failing to prepare for these and like failing to prepare their referees or they're so arrogant that they think that they know best like i'd say it's a mix of the two i I, i'd say you're not wrong you know um the 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 thing for me though is these apologies are useless like what like these you know pgmol have made a statement well bloody good for you lads thanks like really appreciate that that's like failing an exam by one percent and your lecturer saying oh if you'd only done that better like cheers love that still failed like rob this is i think where one thing they should bring back which was when a referee got a really big decision badly wrong that referee could be relegated to the division down and they could be left there for a little while as kind of punishment or take them out of the limelight there is no accountability on var referees or assistant referees and i think that needs to be the change oh i still just think no just get rid of the var like we if we're gonna look at like we've become a slave to the machine here like to make var work look at what we have to do here we have to relegate referees we have to get more even more referees there's probably twice as many referees as there used to be now because we need um bar referees as well instead of having just two linesmen and um, a referee so i just don't think it'll work it's just creating more layers of bureaucracy and and just like it's just creating and then we expect more from it because we're like well we relegated this referee and and we promote this guy he should be better and it just it puts too much scrutiny on them i just think it's designed to make their jobs better but ultimately it just makes it a lot more difficult and i would just completely scrap it and go like this is a failed experiment and regarding i agree with you about rules changes and the sport evolving but like far as in it's it's like another tool to kind of track the sport to help make right decisions but you're never going to get a hundred percent accuracy and to think that var will even bring that like as i said for the sake of that couple of percentage i would just rather not it's just not doesn't wasn't there and we whacked it the way it was, and it wasn't as bad as people make out. Like referee, we we remember the Thierry Henry one. We remember. I was I about to say one. it stinks of that. It really yeah. stinks of that kind of a mess up. Now we've one of those nearly every other week. Like, like Mike. Yeah. As I, I go back to Mike Dean, came out and said, like, oh yeah, I just didn't give that because my mate was having a bad day. Like, it's just people are just going to let you down. So we can't trust them with this machine. So I would. Um, yeah, move on from it. That would be my... So, I think it's the only solution at this point because we're just going to have to keep creating more and more layers. And, like, I think I've seen, like, the, in the Times, like, Henry Winters, like, get ex-professionals to be referees. Like, have they had, do they have any choice in this? They, they don't want to do it. Like, maybe they aren't interested. And to be a referee in the Premier League, you probably have to start when you're very young. And ultimately, as bad as some of these guys are, they're, they're probably the best they have. we have. And... As bad as that mistake was, it's like I, I think we're stuck with them basically, and it's just have to accept that, like the way we accept. You said, the you said what twenty eighteen, twenty eighteen, yeah. it came in. Like the, the yeah. thing is, right? No matter if you brought Kalina in, he still only had five years to get used to the system. You yeah, that's, I mean? so it's, that's like, your it's, point. You know, so it's 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 it, it's now getting to a point where. 
do you want a better referee on VAR or in the pitch? Because to be honest with you, I'd rather a shittier ref on the pitch who sends it up to a lad who knows what he's doing upstairs. It's like, you know, I, 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 and that is sounds insane that I don't want the best ref on the pitch. This is where my my suggestion, at the risk of the wrath of Rob, <laughs> do we scrap the on-pitch ref and Absolutely just give not. it to oh, a guy don't, in a room that has... Out. No, Put it this way, Keenan, give it to right? the guy that has all of the angles where there's no a much, much lower chance for humour and error with a team in front of him. Like, if TV directors can do it for the likes of a Eurovision or the likes of a World Cup where there'll be a hundred cameras <laughs> around the place and they're getting the best coverage, would that not be the best way of catching every little infraction? So we're going from far arson it up to potentially being our new overlord where no, 100%. we can't... No, Jesus, like, oh I, Christ. I play five-side football and we even need a referee in that, Gideon. And, like, that's the level. The referee is, is important. They're not just there to... They're also to get in, ensure a flow of a game and like they do have an impact on it. And usually they, they, you can... like I like I used to hate when Mike Dean was refereeing United matches and watched them because... And it was since kind of proven right that he was an awful gobshite. Like, and you, you could see that the way he was talking about refereeing when he was on that podcast... For me, so that's that's a non-goal for me. That, that we still need them. I think we need a good referee on the pitch as well. And you're right, Connor, about this—the first generation of like VAR reps. So they need you wouldn't they need time to get used to it. I suppose are still familiarised with them, and maybe the next generation of them will be better. But just for me, the other issue with VAR, I've got to say, is that like it favours big teams. Like if you think about it, like there's very you, if you're a smaller team playing against a big team, there's less chance now of getting a like a dodgy offside or yeah like, yeah i know it just that's what makes it to me it just favors the big teams that's where it, what bothers me with it because it's, it's like it's it just makes it a lot easier to to for the big teams to be successful on the day because a marginal call might not go their way particularly if they're away from home like if that match was at anfield the other day with liverpool fans shouting and screaming maybe the referee would have just maybe the lines wouldn't have flagged for it but because it was in tottenham this affects it so another one is that like the lad I know Nathan was talking to me about this and he made a very good point he was saying it's also kind of affected the way teams play bar and because you see Liverpool now they play a particularly high line and you don't usually see the type of strikers that you used to see like Filippo and Zaghi who would stay on the half or stay on the offside and try play on the last man and try just play on that line and they don't really exist anymore and there's other reasons for that like people like Pep and to kind of like it's all about midfield now or it's all about building from the back but it is affecting that element of it too because you can't get away with one anymore like Alex Ferguson say that like Philippe Bowen's Aggie was born on side offside sorry like that's impossible now like you're just you will be caught or you might not but then if you aren't caught by VAR it's a it's an absolute disaster you know that way so it's, I just think it, it just reduces the enjoy, my enjoyment of it, really. What's, it what's just, a weird one is, 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 you know, we're all saying, oh, you know, the refs need to be relegated or pushed on. What also comes into this, and it was, it was a piece I was, I was reading on The Athletic, is you've got to remember there's employment law involved in this. You can't just bin someone for one mistake. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so like you dismiss a guy, you either pay him off for the long term or push them upstairs to a higher position which makes no sense so it's kind of like they created this beast they can't tame the beast it's what what the hell do you do next and like the only thing i can think is 
off the back of what we were saying where they're first generation refs get the English refs to be VAR assistants in summer leagues so they can get the training through the summer whether it's Ireland I don't know like Ireland's just the obvious one because we're from here but give them more game time like because even you can sit them in front of a telly and get them to do games that are previously happened but they know what's happened in those games they need to be just whether it's the worst football you've ever seen it's still a live game that you don't know what's going to happen in and surely that upskills you and and then there has to be kind of kpi pieces within their job that if they've x amount of mistakes at per 90 minutes and all that that they get reviewed but if i'm just really i'm on rob's side of the the fence but i just think bin the whole thing and just maybe i'm just an old bastard when it comes to this stuff (laughs) Well, Connor, as the only one of us that has actually done any refereeing, like when you're going through the course now, I know lower level in Ireland, grassroots, yeah, 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 it's yeah. not, it's not, it's not going to be Howard Webb pulling you to the side and teaching you how it's done. Well, it seems I like could do just as well at the moment, but <laughs> well, it's, no, but this, this is the thing. Like, if from your experience, how backwards it was at that level, or or how advanced it was, I'm not, I'm not going to. Uh, cast any assertions on the refereeing association of Ireland um but how long would it take them to actually adequately train these guys and would it they be better off not necessarily binning a couple of generations of refs but trying to advance a couple of really young ones that have never had the experience of using the old way like yeah like a, i mean that's get a load of like digital native generation yeah. kids into refereeing and go listen lads this is how cool it can be, and you're the one that's going to do this because I, I see it even from my my nieces and nephews and uh, cousins and all that. They see screens and even down to frame rates, they see that completely different to us. Yeah, I think on the first part of that question, in terms of the refereeing, like don't get me wrong, it's an incredibly difficult job. It would it was a, only a couple of day course to get your kind of grassroots license, and I think what was worrying for me within that is you know you could have absolutely no idea about football but just know how to do a test right like it was a written test at the end of the the day yeah there was like pitch work and stuff but it's it's very much just an exam so if you can boss an exam you're fine but I think you know outside of that coming back to the second point the digitally native ones I think that is a good idea for sure but I think the problem is with with digitally native ones is that would suggest that they're quite young and then what your trouble is with that is you're going up against seasoned players who are you know 35 36 37 it's getting older and older and it's like i don't think they'll command the respect so unless we focus on them being var only and they'll only ever be in that box that could work but if in order you you could argue at the same time though you need to be you need to have on pitch experience to get the base knowledge to then get into the box so it's it's definitely worth the discussion if ours to be stuck around because look there has to be some way to elevate and and, and retrain uh, the, the the staff members but like I, I, think, I, I, I think in the short term summer leagues long term digitally native savvy people like I think having if you had digital natives as only VARs and not give them the on field one and then teach the on field referees like let them get the on pitch experience let them get used to getting shouted at and all that and let them be the because that's what they ultimately are they're the ones that make the decision 
that's where yeah it's like when you have a business manager and your accountant your accountant's going to tell you to do things by the letter of the law and you yeah. do this because it's profitable and let that be your digital natives in the VARM because they're going to tell you exactly to the rule book this is offside or offside onside or it's this or it's that or it's the other and then let the referee make it in the flow of the game we've said this I'm, before as well what worries me is the, the 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 pace at which they're expected to make these decisions isn't defined by the refs it's defined by the TV because if they like they have a certain time block that they can't go over and if they go over there's you know fines and issues with that so it's it's kind of like there just needs to be a like and we're not expecting them to take half an hour here but why can't they take two minutes you know if it's if, if it's that big of an issue why not well rob this kind of brings me to the next part of this discussion that i wanted to bring on to does this push football more into the streaming realm and get us away from traditional tv where there is no such thing as time blocks because you just run it until it's done. Um, potentially, yeah. Like I don't understand why you would get everyone together in a stadium and get the players and they work towards it all day, and then you're trying to wrap it up as quick as possible. Like I do see people complaining, "Oh, it's ten minutes added on." I'm like, "Yeah, and like so, like we're all here now. We might as well watch it." So, yeah, if that is a consideration that you're worried about TV, that, that's ridiculous. Like it should just be finding the right result, but it is become. I suppose it's become almost like content now, isn't it? And even this, this, this fire debate is, I don't see, like, I know the ex-pundits are kind of, pundits are kind of annoyed about it, but it just, it gives them something to talk about all week. It sells, well. so it sells papers. And I know it makes yeah. you sound like an old school bastard. Like, I know it's, it's more, pe- people are looking for impressions now, but it, whatever medium you're in, traditional or yeah. non-traditional, this is gold, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's content really. So maybe it is pushing towards streaming, but I don't think, I can't see Sky, like the Premier League is Sky's USP. Like they're never going to yeah. give it up. No matter what the cost is, they'll pay it. If it means, wherever it means, losing whatever rights to any other league, they'll they'll do it. They'll become, they're just basically Premier League TV, aren't they? So I can't see them ever losing it. But yeah, I I, I don't know, possibly, but I, ju- I just don't think this is tenable. This can't keep going. And I don't see the referees getting any better. But I do, my solution stands just scrap it and move on and it's no one's fault because I don't think football lends itself to this level of video scrutiny it's not rugby it's not American football they're very set piece orientated sports it, football is a free flowing sport and it, it does kill the spectacle like even I just find myself going on my phone when there's a VAR call I'm like I'm not be hearing about it all week anyway so I just go on my on my phone scroll away but it takes me out of the match and I, I just don't like that anything that takes you out of the game or something you're sitting down to enjoy just isn't worth it really just as a quick aside one thing i will go against with var is it has ruined celebrations like <sighs> wait like there's no more backflips anymore yeah. and the quickest there's no there's no luala is... going 13 flips in the air like you just don't care well this is the thing what was your favorite football celebration growing up like what was the one that you tried to replicate on the like oh, on, the, I, on the pitch i was uh okay everyone wanted to do a backflip but i'm from ireland so that is impossible um <laughs> but i was always a big fan of a knee slide is good but if you if you make a mess of it you end up on your face and it's proper embarrassing um I was a big fan of simple celebrations, like not not as 
not your Alan Shearer ones, but like Rude Van Nisselrooy type ones, where it's pretty simple. Um, yeah. And I think I think the only one I'd add in as well, you can't be from Ireland and not enjoy the Robbie Keane special. Um, <laughs> oh no, um, fist pump that would do me, but I would I would never have the the ability or the charisma to do a Cantona. That was um, or a Bellingham do. Yeah, you kind of have to be good, to, really good to do that. Um, definitely. What about you, Killian? What are you saying? So I loved the big showpiece ones. Kenwin Jones double backflip was great. The nanny little twisty backflip one was always always great, great one to see. Robert Earnshaw used to do a front flip. Um, he did actually. Yeah. Wales, yeah. Um, like there's been some really really good ones. There was even. Um, go meese for swansea a couple of years ago with the uh the on his hands and knees clawing at the camera oh, that was That's great but my favorite just for it being an absolute classic and he did it for so long it's so simple and it was one you could do anywhere tim cahill punching the corner flag oh that was class yeah, yeah actually what, yeah, what a classic. yeah yeah i think I honorable that. mention for uh I, think, I can't remember who it was a fulham and they walked like a dog, went over to the corner post and put their leg up like they were going for a whiz. That was very good. Um, but Tim Cale's boxing the corner flag is that, yeah, that's that's also an era of football. Like, I, that's like that just is like a warm hug to me, you know. Yeah. One I'd have to add in is John O'Shea when he scored against Arsenal at Highbury and he just had that shocked look on his face and everyone else was <laughs> shocked because he scored like a left-footed chip into the top corner. And he's run around and everyone's chasing after him and he's shocked. And yeah, that was a good one because yeah, that's that's probably how I'd celebrate if I was ever to score a decent goal like that. Like one one of my favourite ones in the Tim Cahill era was um Sunderland was flying high, it was great, it was on a Steve Bruce. The say it was the year that we bet uh Chelsea three 0 with a Neda Manoa fucking whistling through through the, the Chelsea defences if they weren't there. But so we had um in that kind of era during Zenden's one so it was either with uh, I think it was with Asamoah Jam or Drew BLC I can't remember who but one of the lads scored and he had a dance and he was doing the dance and 34 year old Bolo Zenden came up oh, and yeah. did it with him like there is nothing better than a dad dance when you're celebrating football but one of the things that I do hate about modern celebrations as well not just because of our is you see it with uh, Jesse Lingard making into a branding opportunity or B- Bale I think was the first one in on that with the whole heart and the hands thing like the the, the watchman the kind of putting the yeah. two palms together he, he I know he trademarked that like I mean I I appreciate branding opportunities uh, from from a, a professional side of things but yeah I think keeping clear of football for sure but speaking of branding opportunities, Chelsea finally have a brand on their shirt after going <laughs> the last couple of months with no sponsor. Um, Rob, what do you think? Is this going to be another way for them to try and get around FFP? It does seem like that. Um, How much do they get in the end? How much is it a year? Ooh, let me just double check that. It's got to be got to be north of thirty five minimum, or they wouldn't have done it. 40 million plus deal over it is over this year oh so they're basically just that is ffp then it has to be they need money in the door yeah, yeah. seems like a decent enough deal um yeah there's 
what did Barca say a few months ago when they're trying to move funds around, like exercising economic levers? So I think for Chelsea are definitely the same, just moving, moving the cash around, try to keep things. And they won a match. Gymnastics. Yeah, and they won a game. So like, and Mudrick scored. So it's been um, what a week. It's been a for big Chelsea. week. <laughs> Their best week since they won the Champions League. <laughs> But I don't think they, in terms of good weeks, I don't think they can actually beat Aston Villa. Like six one at Brighton, Connor. Did you watch it, boys? Uh, like I, I, I kind of, I only caught the highlights. I watched the highlights. Yeah, but like Jesus, like they absolutely bossed that game, and I don't, I don't think anyone expected that. Like, look, Villa are playing amazing football. They're playing repossession based football. Like I was only saying to Killian before this, Rob, what I found kind of interesting over the last two, three games of the season, uh, or two, three game weeks of the season, most teams are clocking up about 20 shots a game. So it seems like this, the kind of volume of attack is going up, and, and Villa are right there. But I think possession is one thing, you know, many people say you can you know, pass to your centre-backs and you'll, you can lose a game. But 19 shots, 9 on target with a 61% possession and 6 goals on the score sheet. I mean, the only thing you can put against them is is conceding one but I mean Watkins was on fire it was nice to see Ansu Fadi get a goal in there uh, what it means for Villa I don't know but it was bloody exciting to watch um, another result that I couldn't believe and I was delighted to see was that Korean guy scoring <laughs> Guardiola yeah. Rob yeah he, he, you just knew when he said that he, something was going to happen there it looked ridiculous, didn't it? It was weirdly disrespectful. Like I, I don't know why he referred to him as that. It was, it was um, virgin on racist when I heard it. I was like, oh, this could get him in some hot water. Yeah, you're like that's a weird, like, in, such an intelligent guy to say something like that. So it was nice to see. Um, and yet, and Haaland blanking again. And I only seen highlights, but Man City look a bit kind of stiff. Without they'll still win the Premier League, but he looked. A you don't look what they were last season, particularly without De Bruyne. And um, yeah, it was just kind of poetic that the Korean guy scored the, the winning goal, basically. The uh, Pedro Neto, though, he is one serious baller. Holy God. He is the kind of guy that if he turned up at City next year, he'd be like, yep, yeah, that, that that would work. Yep, yeah, that's just add another one to their, their armory. But Alvarez as well, five goals in seven games. He's looks like he's found a stride. One of Robbie's FPL picks. Indeed. The um, one game for me, boys, that I was I was interested in was the Luton game. Uh, Everton Luton, arguably a six pointer in what seven games in, but huge game. Uh, I'll be honest, I I was on my phone ready to go, waiting to share an asset, <laughs> saying will will they get less points than Derby, and the, they had to just fuck up my day. But I mean. It, Dirty football, you could say, in terms of set pieces, won them that game. But if that's going to keep them up, I don't think Luton will be annoyed about that. That's a proper relegation teams uh, game. Because, like, again, I didn't get to see all of it. Um, just too much football on. But, like, they were way down on possession. They were way down on shots. They were way down on touches, passes. But they got the result, and this is where the two shots survive. on target, the two shots on target, and two goals. Like that's as filthy as you can get. But it, if big Sam football, well, I don't think they were even playing big Sam football in the sense that like 
it wasn't eye-gouging eye to watch. Like, it was never going to be a thrill fest against um, Sean DiCinio. Um, <laughs> uh, like, I, it's never going to be uh, an absolute gold fest or anything. But, like, it kind of proves that if you can grind out a result like this against the teams like Everton, because they are the teams that you need to beat, those that are going to be around you, I... I'm not. I'm not tipping them to stay up, but I think it could be later in the season before that's decided. It'd be a miracle if they do. And look, if they do, fair play to them. But if they do stay up, they're dead on to go down next year. Like absolute see us on. They remind me of two teams of uh, of a decade ago, like when I was starting to watch football properly. Um, similar kind of ilk: Hull under Phil Brown. And um, Ian Holloway's Blackpool, where it's that kind of like you don't expect to be here. Oh my God, you stayed up! Holy shit, what are you going to do next? And if you go down, or next Wigan, year, well, who cares? When Wigan came up as well, that they they had a good five six years stint of staying up. If I'm if I'm not they, wrong, they had, but they had a great stint and they had some great players. They had like Amir Zaki in Zogbia, Antonio Valencia, Wilson Plasios, like Mario. Or's Joe, or's Joe Kinnear likes to call him uh, Insomnia, but that's for another day's <laughs> chat. <laughs> oh, Mr. Kinnear, who tried to sign his own player. When he was director of football in Newcastle, <laughs> he, like this, this is the kind of thing though where like I don't think like people d- forget how much of a shit fest Newcastle was for so many years. Like we, we, I think by the time Shearer came in, when we were going down, he was either the fourth or there'd been four managers before him that season. Like it, we were a laughing stock. So to to see us in Champions League nights again is just wild Connor. don't take heart I'll never forget those days they were great <laughs> days they were fantastic um, Rob one game that I did kind of want to get your reaction on is Man United falling to the mighty Crystal Palace a week after beating them <laughs> yeah I, you know that's bad when Man United like, losing isn't actually that much of a surprise when like they were like fifth on match of the day. So I didn't see the match. It was it wasn't on TV. So I was watching the final on soccer Saturday and I was like, oh I'll watch the highlights to see how bad it was. And I was like an hour into the show before I actually saw the match. I was like, oh man, like ten years ago May Night lost to Palace. I know there were other big results, but May Night lose a home to Palace ten years ago, and that's at least in the top two or three matches. Now it's just like you're coming on at, ahead of I don't Mate, know. Luton, Luton, Luton were yeah. on before you. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, this is it. This is the level you're at. Like, Luton beating beat Everton was nearly more noteworthy or just like of more interest. Oh, yeah, Man United lost against the fourth Matt loss in six games a season. And it's it's no kind of it's no your, surprise. It's your, it's your worst start in 30 years. I think 35, I like it, maybe. Yeah, I feel like every season United have their worst start in twenty five years. Just <laughs> feel like we've had this a few times, like. But this one, this feels different actually than the Moyes one or the Solskjaer one. It's less entertaining anyway. Even in, even as it, even if you weren't the Man United fan, you're watching it. It's just something kind of predictable about. It. And I feel like they're carrying on a lot of form from last season. So like they've only scored six goals in seven games this season. Three goals against Forest in kind of a bit of a mad game. They only scored like 54 or 57 goals in the entirety of last season. Like you don't score anywhere near enough goals. And before he was getting a hard time, but 
because he wasn't very good with his feet. But De Gea was kind of keeping them, keeping score down a lot. I know he made a lot of blunders, but he was generally keeping a lot of clean sheets. Now they can't keep, keep clean sheets, and they're not scoring any goals. And and you can see the pressure now going into Hag, and he was questioning Rashford's decision making, which I don't know if I liked hearing it, but I'm glad he did do it because his decision making is terrible. He plays like a 15 year old, just drops his head and runs into the box and shoots. Doesn't look for anyone to pass to. Um, it's it's just a bit of a mess. And Casemiro is, is really starting to look like that old lad in five side who just can't really get around the pitch anymore. He's a good player. Like, he's, your, just, he's your top scorer this season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like the just sterile possession. And, and Palace, like, just, yeah, deserve, fully deserve the win from the highlights I saw. And it, again, it's, it's no surprise. It's trending in what was last season, similar type of form other than a period maybe after Christmas really where quite good but the rest of the season there was a lot of these type of results and there seems to be too many good teams now so you've like obviously Man City Arsenal Liverpool um, Tottenham then you have Villa Brighton and I even think Chelsea are better than than you know at the moment which is a bit mad like they they haven't been doing well at all Chelsea but I think they've put together better performances than United and I think the results will come whereas with Wait, you know, it just if Chelsea can like not to sound like Poch, but if Chelsea can score goals, they really they're working. They're not playing bad football. Yeah, here's one a real nerdy one, Katie, in that like Chelsea have won every match on XG, so they they've created chances and chances to win every game, just haven't taken them. Whereas United, I think their XG for so far the season is like eleven, so they probably should have scored. They should have scored five more goals than they have, but it's still not a lot. Like eleven goals in seven games, like it's a bit scratchy, isn't it? And that's that's with the cha- the chances they created, and ideally they should score. So no surprise at all. And I just I think it's gonna be another one of those seasons. You know, I always have to do half these in one season, and then the following season they drop the arch drops out basically. It's a lack of being clinical, though, because, like, yeah. not, to, not to be the stats guy, but, like, 77% possession, 19 shots, and only four of them on target? Like, come on. And, Killian, you've yeah. been beating the drum for a while that the Premier League doesn't have enough, kind of, or not even the Premier League, just European football, like, true number nines that are pro poachers. Like, outside, Lewandowski, uh, Harry Kane, Haaland, that's about it. Of pure nines, like Mbappe's not in there. Like, like he's you don't have he, any Drogba's anymore. You don't no. have any Eto's anymore. Dwight York's like Dwight York was a good striker. He wasn't a world beater by any stretch of imagination. But Got goals, you would though. think, but you think in like this era, a player like that should be able to get a ton of goals. But Messi ruined the fun because everybody then wanted from the academies false nines and advanced forwards and pressing forwards and all these kind of bits. No, just get a lad that's going to be. Just get Evan Ferguson. Just make him 10 times in a row. He'll be in the box. He can do a bit of everything and he'll just get your fucking goals. But even he is now. He's dropping deep and kicking off the ball and half spaces and all this type of stuff. It, it, I think it goes back to Guardiola and just wanting the whole team of midfielders and there's no individualists. Like, they're, the individualists are kind of being driven out of the game nearly. Like, that's why maybe someone like Madison stands out because there's not many Mavericks like kind of Madison left. A lot of it pure strikers that we think of like Inzaghi or all these guys you remember from years ago 
I just they're maybe they're not coming through because the game has become so um yet automized they're like it's it's all about fitting into certain types of roles and yet there's no space for the goal hangers anymore. I, I hate to say it to you, Rob, but there was a, a pundit I heard during the week that said uh that the reason the the on your point the reason that all these kind of lack of strikers is happening that we don't play four four two anymore and we're not bringing through two strikers and this is gonna hurt you in the soul but it was big meeks and big meeks and you have the same opinion for once <laughs> well even a broken clock is right twice a day and that includes me as well he's right big meeks is right like um it's it's it, it's definitely it's notable losing my night having to spend. 75 million on a very raw player like um, Hyland. He could be good. He, like he's looked good, okay so far. But 75 million used to get you Ronaldo. <laughs> Never yeah. get you a lad who might be able to get you 20 goals in a season, maybe. So well, when you when you look yeah. at Messi, what was it in his peak? I think he got 90 goals one year or 80 odd in a, in a 12 month period. Like I know we'll never yeah. see the likes of that again, but we're not even seeing a third of that. You know. Just before we fully go off United, and we kind of covered this point last week, but I do just... Ten Hag's man management. He's making comments about Rashford this week. He's successfully pissed off Harry Maguire, Ronaldo, Sancho. Like, it's a bit Mourinho-esque, Rob. He's pissing off all the right people, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, like, as I say, I do think he has that kind of... He's a bit stiff, isn't he? He doesn't have. He's a bit of a charisma vacuum, um, and I don't know necessarily if it's the right pick for United. But I wouldn't be. Mourinho was always like it was always the nuclear option. Like it wasn't just criticised him; it was destroyed him. Like the way he spoke about Luke Shaw, like he was like, "It's his brain, or it's his body, and it's my brain." And you can't give him credit for that performance because basically I was the one controlling him. That's the way he was speaking about people. Ten Hag is a bit more. Maybe in the Van Hal level of things, or even Pep, it's a bit passive aggressive and a bit, yeah, like he's muttering it. And it's, but also he's, he's kind of right, like he's, Rashford's not making good decisions, he's wasting chances. He still, I think he still has enough credit in there from last season winning the cup and qualifying for Champions League. But I would have doubts if he is the, I would think, as I said, I think he needs to, there's going to need to be more of a charismatic or big time manager maybe to do that job rather than him given how much of a mess my United is. Whereas at Ajax, we had someone signing players from, it was probably a bit easier to fall out with the players and be a bit stiffer with them because he knew he had people in the club who could move them on or who could yeah, get replacements. Whereas with United, like if you fall out with Rashford, what are you going to do? Like, well, to be, to be a United manager though, I think you, you, you need to be that all-encompassing guy. You like, yeah. and, and, and I know Fergie said the, the kind of parameters for that and it doesn't have to be always Fergie everything for United but like whether it's Man United Real Madrid Liverpool any major club in the world you need to run that place like a mafia Don everything goes through you you set the rules anyone goes out of line they're terrified of you and when things go wrong you take it on the chin and that I just I have to ask do you think 12 months from now he's still there no I um, maybe twelve months, but maybe the end of next season. Yeah. It's just it's gonna go back to the same cycle, isn't it? He's gonna fall out with the players. He's not gonna reach the Champions League, which guarantees United so much money with certain deals like what Adidas or their shirt sponsors. So, and then Champions League money they miss out on, 
and then you're back again to square one. So as long as the Glazers are there, no, it won't be. Maybe the next owners, if there is any to come in, it might be different. It might be a director of football, but I think um, it does seem like we're starting to enter the mid-period of it ahead of the inevitable, which is, yeah, walking away because it just seems too much, too much of a mess for him. Lads, before we go on to Rob's FPL picks of the week, I want to completely depress you. Oh, God. Devon Kimbra made history with his debut in the USL for Sacramento Republic versus Las Vegas Lights. He's 13-year-old. He was born in 2010. It's... it's it. I, my brain won't even let me go there. That that that's <laughs> happening. Like I, oh, he's football the, boots older than him. <laughs> like thirteen. Like literally. He, he also, from the clips I saw, he looked good and he didn't look scared. You know what I mean? Like he he, he seemed to be the captain came over to him, gave him kind of that whack around the neck, and was like, "Right, kid, let's see what you're made of," and passed the test for me. Like and some interesting bits about him. So like he joined the club's academy at eleven years old in twenty twenty one. Um but like twenty seven goals in thirty one games and then he went up the next kind of age group, thirty four goals in fifty on for the under fourteens and under fifteens. So like he's over level for his age, but one good thing um for him is that Sacramento Republic's president, Todd uh Dunavant, was on the pitch for Freddie Adu's debut. Oh my god! He was uh, so he's now saying, "Don't worry, lads. He's going to mind him because Freddie was put under immense pressure and he shouldn't have been." Freddie, who actually did play for Las Vegas Lights, the opponents that he made, he um he he came on against. So let's hope that's that that's not a uh, an omen for his career, Rob. Yeah, what was Ever Ferguson when he made his debut against Chelsea? Fourteen. Yeah, somewhere in that. Yeah, it, I think he was either he was deaf of fifteen max, and he Fair worked him. out fine. Evan Ferguson against Chelsea. Yeah, Ethan Ampadu, fifteen for Exeter, playing first team football. So like, I tell you the biggest thing, lads, that that made me whatever about the kid being thirteen. Did you see the club photographer? Have you seen that video? So he's on the subs. He, he's kind of boards come up. He's just waiting to come on the pitch. The game's still in play. And the club photographer is like in front of him on the pitch, getting every single angle close up on his face. Like she's moving, like she's hovering, she's crab walking the sideline. The game's on. Like if like if the ball comes over, she may as well join in. And I was just like, it's the most American thing you've ever bloody seen. It's just like lads, just I know he's gonna be, he could be the new Messi, and you want to be the first one to get the image and have T-shirts made for forevermore. But fuck me, just let him come on and play the game. Like as a cameraman, I'm gonna defend her. <laughs> get the shot it's all about the shot get the shot and now rob over to you for your fpl shots um treat treat to buy treat to sell i've had really some st- since i started doing this i've had some stinking really stinking weeks but <laughs> I, I really have now but i i would take if you're still mad enough to follow what i have to say i would look at um son so that's kind of a no-brainer but also tottenham have Luton away, so Sonny is in great form and he's playing centre forward. He's down as a midfielder on the game. I would definitely go for Son. Another outside shell I'd go for would be Calvert Lewin for everything. So like he was good on fantasy a couple of years ago, and then obviously he's had like loads of injuries, but he's been scoring and he's been 
looks to be fit again now. He's always got me an injury though, and he's always kind of the potential for him to miss a lot of games. But if you're looking for a punt, I would say yeah, like go with Calvert Lewin if you're playing a wild card or something like that. He could be a good show. And then the last one would be a boring enough one, but it's Anderson off Palace because it's boring in the sense that it's kind of like obviously chasing the points because he scored against United. Um, I have him in my draft team and he got 15 points last week, but he also has really good fixtures. So they play, let me see here, Palace I thought, have, I thought you were talking about Elliot Anderson from Newcastle. No, you got me all excited, sorry. Rob. <laughs> Jotcham Anderson. So, like, yeah, um, Palace are a home to Forest, so good chance for clean sheet there. Then they are away to Newcastle, which is an easy game, but then after that, it's mostly green fixture, so it's like on the fixture difficulty right or on the fantasy side, they're all kind of relatively easy fixtures. And thing about Roy Hodgson in fantasy, his teams are always great to kind of go for, like for the defenders, because they're always cheap, because he's always managing a lower team, and they get so many clean sheets. So Anderson would be definitely one I'd be looking at. He's 4.7 now. He was 4.5. His prices keep going up, so I'd jump on him. And to sell, I would sell every Man United player you have. I don't care that he's <laughs> Brentford on. Honestly, like... I've lost so many points by having Rashford, by having Bruno, and going, oh well, this week you know you have Palace at home, I'll stick with Bruno. Like don't, don't, don't fall for that. Like so, I would tell Rashford, Bruno, and Onana because that's what I'm going to do because I have to trade them in my team, and Onana is not keeping clean sheets. Fernandez just is being a bit. He's not doing great, is he? Like he's, and then Rashford is form is poor, and then. You look at United's wider stats, as I've been saying, like they've only got seven goals this season. So you're kind of you're on a, onto a hiding to nothing if you're expecting you're putting a twenty million of your funds into two Man United forwards for a team that don't score a lot of goals. So Rashford, <laughs> Fernandez, and Onana would be out of my team. But if you're also if you do, if you're looking for a non Man United player to balance it out, I think it might be time maybe to move on. Is Stupinan off? Off Brighton, he got minus two last week with no goal. He was taken off, and the Zerbi does rotate a lot. Like so, he will. They'll have a European game as well, so he could just fall out of favour. And it feels like the points might be gone there. So I'd maybe move him on, even though he was doing really well at the start of the season. I think that's. A, I think it's a solid bunch of uh, buys and sells there. I mean, I, like like you said, there's a few of them haven't gone your way. I think a few of them have been outside your control. But uh, Alvarez is definitely one that's got me up the leaderboard and uh, with my fantasy team. So uh, stick in with them, lads and ladettes. Yeah, um, there, well, there, there, there is hope. Watkins broke my heart now since I thought, said sell him. I, I yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not that gonna lie. When I saw season. that. I was like, oh my god. That's how I lost my mini legs. Because I saw, I didn't get on the Watkins bandwagon. So, yeah, I've had nothing. But there's always one player that you just have bad luck with. So it's not too bad if you swap him for Alvarez because he's been scoring lots of goals. But Watkins did get 23 points at the weekend. So that was that was tough to see. And gentlemen, we're coming to the end of our, of our episode for this week. Um, great to have you as again, as always, and great to have you, the listener. Um, we'll be back to you next week. I've been not upon the Killeen Gennity, and my thanks to not upon the Connor Glennon. Thanks a million, boys. It feels good to, to, to finally not shout into the clouds about VAR and uh, actually kind of get some bounce back on it. And my thanks to journalist and author Robbie Redmond. Thanks, lads. 
Bye-bye. I'm not into podcasts. of the net.